0: Hello and welcome to this month's episode of the CF Armed Forces Podcast, with me, your host, James Clark. On this month's podcast, we're joined by Steve Baker, the Member of Parliament for Wickham, and Flick Drummond, the Member of Parliament for Meon Valley. Our first guest is Steve Baker MP. Following a career in the Royal Air Force, Steve moved into computer science, working in senior roles in business software before being elected to parliament in 2010 as the member for Wickham. He established the Cobden Centre, an educational charity, and has been on the Transport and Treasury Select Committee. He was a vocal advocate for leaving the European Union. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the January 2021 edition of the CF Armed Forces podcast. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your early life, um, kind of perhaps your, your early inspirations, and what prompted you to consider the RAF as a career?
1: Well, James, thank you very much indeed for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity, and thank you to your listeners for uh, tuning in, as it were. Um, well, I grew up in Cornwall. Um, my dad was a carpenter, he's retired now, but he a, was a building site carpenter, and my mum was an administrator she rose to be a administrator of a charity locally that looked after disabled people um, but quite you know really ordinary background comprehensive educated um, I was I suppose quite clever at school but I was very very bookish and uh, introverted and I, one of my friends said why don't we you know he'd join the air cadets it was great I was interested in aeroplanes so it seemed a natural thing to do And one thing led to another. I was an air cadet. Uh, I uh, was a sixth form scholar uh, for my A-levels. Absolutely intended to have a lifelong RAF career. Dreamed of being chief engineer RAF. Uh, Became a university cadet at Southampton and on into the Air Force. So uh, it was sort of a natural opportunity really to be uh, at university with a wage as a, an, a, a, as a university cadet and that coming from an ordinary background seemed at the time a, a great way to go to university and gain access to a fantastic career that I expected to do my whole life long so I, I suppose that's it was just a natural flow from somebody suggesting we join the air cadets but the air cadets was a lot of fun but not quite as much fun as the air force itself
0: and so were your parents supportive of, of your career choices
1: yeah of course they were of course they were my uh, my uh, father's father had uh, been a lifelong soldier and on my mother's side uh, granddad uh, was at the royal aircraft establishment at Farnborough so um, in fact he t- granddad brimble taught one of my own voters to be a good socialist he told me <laughs> and we bumped into each other he, he said one of my voters on the street said um were you ever at RAE Farnborough I said oh no I wasn't but my granddad was grandad Brimble no not Stanley Brimble he taught me to be a socialist so thanks grandad but um but no but coming from a basically a forces family they that they, they were all very supportive yeah
0: and I imagine um you know you you, you spent you know a decent decent chunk of your career in, in the RAF have you got any good stories that you'd be uh, you'd be willing to share?"
1: Well, there's definitely loads of good stories. Uh, yeah. What's a good one to put out as a politician? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, there were lots of good stories. I suppose when I'll tell you two. one was uh, <laughs> I was um, sitting upstairs at um, Mechanical Components Flight and Visiting Aircraft section on my first tour, looking out beautiful office, looking over the airfield at RAF Leeming with the Dales on one side and the Moors on the other. And somebody came absolutely stampeding up the stairs. Sir, you need to come and talk to these Harrier pilots. And one Harrier pilot had started up four Harriers uh, while the other three planned the route home. And one of these Harriers had caught fire. (laughs) <laughs> um and so i've used that in after dinner speeches with Har- very very senior harrier pilots i usually say afterwards i understand the level of professionalism in the harrier force has now risen somewhat to match the jaguars because of course i went on to the jaguar force great rivals of the harriers and i suppose my most memorable thing lots of great stuff happened with 41 squadron but the most memorable thing was probably standing next to a jaguar in the desert we were the first deployment to egypt uh, since suez wow. and there was a jaguar needed an engine change and we had to do a reheat ground run uh with no yeah i can't remember what you call it now but no no noise facilities so this jet was just sort of hung out over the desert and run in reheat for a while uh, in the dark and that was an amazing experience to be part of but lots happened in egypt lots of trips to norway to detriment manu and to um Italy, uh, you know, I had had a really tremendous time as so many people do, and what a privilege it was to work with the men and women of the Royal Air Force, really talented, dedicated people. I almost wouldn't mind going back and doing it again. I think if I um if I was in my twenties with the what I know now, I think I'd probably have been um a better leader, but I think I did okay at the time.
0: Well, I mean that, that and that that that's so, that, so um that's very kind of hum- humble of you to say, and and what a great advertisement for the forces that having having you know had your experiences, you would you would go back again and 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 sort of. Oh, I the same definitely part. would.
1: I would never have left the Royal Air Force if I could have stayed on Forty One Squadron, or rather, if I could have gone on to trials work. I, I mean, I I did okay at, at Aero Systems too. Uh, at the uh, engineer officer training, which meant, you know, I sort of ticked the boxes to go off and do defence intelligence and so forth, which was what I really wanted to do, trials or defence intelligence, something really, really technical. Um, and I would have loved to be at Boscombe down and just stayed there with all those different aircraft. That's what I love, aircraft and aircraft engineering. But I'm afraid it was not to be the Royal Air Force needed someone to be the engineering authority for the Adur gas turbine fitted to uh, Jaguar Hawk and Red Arrows Hawk. They didn't have anyone available who'd been an uh, OC engines for one of those, en- you know, for, for one of those fleets. And I, so I was available. I was coming off a Jaguar uh, squadron, so they made me against my wishes. Really, uh, I said I'd go and give it a go, but they made me engineering authority for the Adur, and I, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life either at Witten or uh, in that kind of career. And I, I gave it a go, but um, I'm afraid the dot com boom was happening. And I decided that I wanted to go and do that instead. It was a really hard decision because I absolutely loved the Air Force, but I'm afraid what I loved was being... Um, an aircraft engineer not sitting in an office. I thought to myself, if I'm going to sit in an office pushing paper around, I'd rather do it in the dot com boom, uh, which then promptly ended while I was doing an MSc in computer <laughs> science. So that was another story. But it, in, in the end, it, things have not worked out uh, too badly for me. But um, yeah, it was a hard decision to leave. Um, and I suppose I think I'm quite confident that since 1999, uh, things will have moved on dramatically in the Royal Air Force. But certainly then, the reason for my leaving was was um basically because I I got shoved onto a career path which uh, <clears throat> I did not want so it's one of those things
0: yeah I mean um, it sounds like in, in that respect that the needs of the service came first rather than perhaps perhaps your needs and I suppose that's something that actually you know the, the military suffers from you know and, and will continue to you
1: know and in a sense, why shouldn't it? I mean, it's the armed forces. And if you're going to join, you go where you're told. I mean, that is, in the end, the great thing about the duty. It is a duty and people are aware of it. And I was glad to do my duty. But equally, we only all of us live one life. So um, I'm afraid of that that that's why I left. Um, and I don't actually regret it. I, I regret that I couldn't stay on 41 Squadron forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, I think I, I i would not have enjoyed um, working my way up uh, at Witter, I'm sure it's an admirable thing to do, and many very talented people enjoy it, but um, it, it wasn't for me. So,
0: and so, how how did you how did you? I mean, it it sounds now that you perhaps left not not on the best terms. You must have been disappointed that things couldn't work out. So, how uh, did you then? Well, you know, <laughs> it, what happened next?
1: <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, I'm afraid there's no real getting away from it. I was bullied twice by two successive bosses in my first and second tours of duty. Um, And then in my third was not a tour I wanted. It's amazing. I enjoyed my Royal Air Force career as much as I did. Um, And I was afraid I was just unlucky with two people who don't need to be named. And, um, uh, you know, so it was what it was. Uh, But I, I did have a fabulous time. Overall, Um, but yeah, I got on, uh, did my MSc in computer science at Oxford, and joined a startup as uh, head of consulting and product manager. That was a real education um, because very, very entrepreneurial. Helped um, helped them build the business. My wife was still in the air force; she was a medical officer. She's uh, left. She left in 2010, Um, but she was going off to be the SMO RAF Valley, which left me in Oxford and her in her in Valley. And this is a problem that many. Uh, military couples listening to this will recognize lots of weekend commuting still going on and in the end uh, after a year we decided that I'd go freelance and uh, she would continue on and I made the best of it and had some really good niche skills I went on to become if I say so myself, one of the world's experts training people on electronic financial reporting with XBRL went uh, off to Japan and to the USA doing things with that. So I, I had, a, I, again, good, a good, a good, uh, gosh, uh, eight. Eight nine years in the software industry. I went to Lehman Brothers, which was a great asset on my CV at the beginning when I went there to do uh, a couple of big programs. But by the time I left, of course, Lehman had collapsed, and we had a <laughs> global <top's> right? <laughs> Yeah. But that definitely wasn't my fault. All I was doing was designing the software. It was definitely not my fault that the system came down. Um, but yeah, so that, that's that's broadly w- what happened. My wife went to Afghanistan and twice to Iraq, and was SMO at several stations and deputy SMO before that. So the two of us had um, a really enjoyable times and made many lifelong uh, friends uh, in the air force. Friends we really treasure and skills we're really glad to have.
0: Wow, what a, what an enormously full life you've led, Stephen! And, and and then and then politics—you you heeded the call.
1: I suppose yes. I mean, it was emigrate, moan or stand. Um, I'm afraid there's no getting away from it. The Lisbon Treaty had been brought forward to try to avoid having referendums on the uh, Constitution for Europe. I'd read the Constitution for Europe, didn't think much of it, but thought at least I get to vote no in a referendum. Mm. And then, of course, they cancelled a sequence of referendums once uh, there'd been a couple of no votes. Mm. And instead, the Lisbon Treaty was used, in my view, to subvert democracy. Uh, The Irish were made to vote twice on it. And Gordon Brown sneaked off to sign it on his own without the other leaders. And I thought, whoa, 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 what is going on here? I didn't join the armed forces so that politicians could do this to our democracy. Mm. And I'm afraid I did really think about it in those terms. So I thought emigrate, moan or stand. And I decided to stand for election and see if I could do politics the way I thought it ought to be done. Uh, wondering how it is that so many people do politics so badly and of course what I've learned subsequently is the reason it's done so very very badly is because it's so very very difficult Um, but nevertheless that goal I had of letting the public have their say on whether they wish to be governed in the way envisaged in the Lisbon Treaty I suppose I've done my done my bit on that now.
0: So so it sounds obviously I mean I can hear from the 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 kind of the quiet passion in your voice that you're obviously a man of principle and that when and you have very considered and distinct views about things now do you think that your military career you know with with the with the kind of values and standards from the air force and across the UK military do you think do you think that forms a kind of almost like a bedrock for your beliefs or do you actually have them independently and you you, you have always shown that kind of um, commitment? Well, my op- my
1: opponents uh, often accuse me of all of the reverse of you've, what you've just very kindly said. And I'm afraid that is, that is normal to politics as well. I suppose what I would say is that I am absolutely sure that who I am and what I'm able to do is absolutely bound up in having been a Royal Air Force officer. Um, I was a prize winner at IoT. I didn't get the sword. I got the squadron commander's prize on D squadron. And so, so I suppose I must have gone into IoT with something about me. But overall, I would say that the Royal Air Force and what it taught me about leadership and effective intelligence, managing others, communicating. Um, having drive and resilience, all those good things are absolutely bound up in who I am. And in terms of having principle, that's to do with being an engineer. So if you're an engineer on aircraft, you've got to have a really robust grasp of both theory and a pragmatic uh, grasp of practice so it's no good you're not a scientist you're not there just to admire a problem and design you know and and investigate the physics of how an aeroplane flies you're there to get the thing in the air and that's what I bring to politics is that I've got a very philosophical approach to what is the right thing to do but then in the end you do have to be pragmatic and I'm a conservative so I'm not just here to you know, I'm not the MP for all classical liberals in the UK. Mm-hmm. I'm the MP for Wickham and I was elected as a conservative, so I've got to be pragmatic. But so I would say that, that the combination of the things the Royal Air Force teaches you, together with being an engineer, produces the person that I think I am, uh, together with my Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. But so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be very focused on what's best for other people um, and informed by good ideas but very pragmatic but one of the, again one of the things i've discovered in politics is um people aren't very good at disagreeing with one another mm. and when they disagree they very often ascribe that disagreement either to bad motives or stupidity um or general villainy so uh, uh politics is quite a painful thing to be part of mm-hmm. It's war minus the shooting, I would say. Everybody in the RAF will have heard the Klaus Fitz thing about politics, uh, sorry, war is a continuation of politics by other other means. And having been in politics now for 11 years this year, I would say that uh, um, politics is war minus the shooting. And if you understand it as war minus the shooting, you have a better concept of what's really going on. It's, you know, there's no point asking all MPs in Parliament to just why can't you just all agree with each other two things you hear in politics a lot from the public one why can't you all just agree with each other and do the right thing and the other one is you're all the same and people people, (laughs) and people can't have both things but so it does have its frustrations but we do our best I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure the overwhelming majority of MPs and councillors get themselves elected because they would like to improve the lives of other people
0: well, so moving away from the, the frustrations, uh, the obvious frustrations of of being a politician um, and 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 being um, perceived by the public as somebody who holds very strong positions on a number of divisive issues, what what's been your most enjoyable um, aspect? And perhaps you could you could talk to the listeners about on a national. Uh, stage and then also perhaps locally as well you know what 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 have you seen or what have you achieved in Wiccan that you're particularly proud of?
1: Well there's two different things proudest of and most enjoyable. Um, mm. so the most enjoyable is always the moment of joy you get when someone has been helped. There, there'll be plenty of people listening to this who've had a moment of misery in their life I know that I have when you're the victim of the bureaucracy and it doesn't seem to matter what you do, you can't find a way out of this prison of a serious problem with a bureaucracy. And in a sense, uh, the most joyful moments of being an MP are where you've got alongside someone who's had a dreadful time. And through my staff and me, we've managed to get their life out of that prison and um, in, into, a, into a, a better basis for going on, uh, when it, whether it's immigration or housing or benefits those are the three biggest areas and you know we don't do housing allocations we're not an appeals process we can't give le- legal advice on immigration but one way or another sometimes when all else fails people can come to us and we can sometimes get a breakthrough so for example if somebody's got a terminal ill relative and they can't get that relative's son or daughter in from another country and we're able to intervene and help get a compassionate visa to get them in that makes a really big difference to someone's life so that's the thing in the sense where you get the most satisfaction the thing I'm proudest of is that Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust today is really doing very very well particularly during the coronavirus outbreak Uh, but when I was elected 10 years ago I had to keep a dossier of what I would call never events and I don't particularly want to rehearse them because it was painful for everybody but I had to have I I, I felt I needed to uh, intervene in certain quite dramatic ways to make sure that the trust uh, received the help it needed to get turned around and that's probably my proudest achievement because that undoubtedly will have saved life um, mortality in the trust was above where it should have been and um, that got turned around so that that's the proudest achievement
0: brilliant brilliant well yeah great <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm kind of coming to my final question Steve I, I, I um this is this is really where I say over to you um, obviously you've you've been Hugely influential, both um, at a party parliamentary level and and on a national um, level, with your um, work on Brexit. Um, you know, we are living in unprecedented times. Um, individual freedom and liberty uh, has has been effectively removed by the government without debate in Parliament. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, is is that? your next um battle the next political battleground that you see or are you scanning the horizon for for something else I suppose
1: I should say first that to be fair to the government, there have been now plenty of debates in Parliament about the removal of our liberties, about whether it's necessary and proportionate to do what has been done. The first lockdown was signed into law without prior debate, and that was a battle Graham Brady and I fought together that we should have prior debates. because To to take away liberties in this way is absolutely extraordinary. I suppose what I would say is that I joined the Royal Air Force and I got into politics. To defend and advance freedom because freedom under the rule of law is the single most important ingredient in securing the prosperity and happiness of any people. So I'm about advancing freedom and freedom includes self-government, that is democracy and so that's why I did what I did on Brexit. It's what, what I'm doing now on the COVID recovery group trying to promote our return to as the Prime Minister put it, rec- reclaiming our lives once and for all—that's how he put it. Mm. Um, but I am always horizon scanning for the next threat to freedom. Um, but it—but I, I don't want to pre-announce what I'm planning to do next. But I have got another plan for after the COVID recovery group is uh, done. Uh, that I'm afraid will also be another controversial <laughs> matter. But important things always are controversial. Mm. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I, if I'm on the back benches, then what I'm doing is constantly looking for how to best serve the people of Wickham. And on a national level, it's, well, if I've, you know, if I'm going to have a project on a national level, then it's always going to be about defending freedom. I don't think it's very likely that I shall ever pick up a project which uh, advances the cause of state power.
0: Brilliant. Well, and, and you know, uh, I, I personally um, wish you all the best in your efforts to protect our freedom. And I know that our... Um, our listeners would encourage you to hold the government to account as a a, a friendly critic um, as much as possible. Well Um, that's what I am doing.
1: but I have to say I hope you're almost saying we've also got to protect life and I hope Mm -hmm. I'm realistic Mm -hmm. about that we've got to protect life Um, but uh, there'll be many people listening to this who like me join the armed forces to defend freedom and um, they will expect me to continue doing that and
0: I certainly will. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're a a busy man, Will, we'll we'll end there. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure to to speak to you today and we hope that perhaps you'll um, you'll join us again maybe in a year's time.
1: James, thanks very much for having me on and I look forward to it.
0: Our second guest is Flick Drummond MP. Flick was elected in 2019 and is currently PPS in the Department for Work and Pensions. From 2015 to 2017, she was the MP for Portsmouth South. She previously worked as an insurance broker, Ofsted Lay School Inspector, and was a member of the Territorial Army Intelligence Corps. She's had a wide range of experience in public service and the voluntary sector. Flick, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We really, really appreciate it. I'm gonna bounce straight into the first question. Um, which is a little bit about yourself, about your life um, and your experiences, which led you to becoming a reservist in the Incor.
2: Well, thank you very much, James, and thank you so much for inviting me and, and all the stuff that you're doing, it's really, really important. Uh, my, I, my father was in the army for half his career before he moved into the Foreign Office and I nearly joined the OTC at university, but the nearest place was Leeds, which would meant travelling every day, so I went to Hull University. So I waited until I moved to London and then joined the intelligence corps. Um, but I was only in for three years because I had a baby and then went on to have another three and five years. So I'm, I felt unable to carry on. But I wish I had because I loved every single minute of it. It's a fantastic, fantastic job. And
0: so can you can you talk to us a little bit about your experience in the reserves? You know, things that you were taught, and, you know, the amount of time you stayed and, and what you got up to.
2: So we, um, well, in in the Intelligence Corps TA, we were very much treated as going to be replacing regulars, you know, when they went off on holidays. So we passed out with uh, the regulars in Ashford and the training, I think, was six months. It was every Wednesday and every other weekend. Um, and I did it during the winter, too, <laughs> so it was pretty cold. Grim. <laughs> but, you know, it's, um, I mean, it, it is the most fantastic um, thing to do. Um, I absolutely adored it, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really led me to, um, in Parliament, to talk about reservists and to make sure, I, when I was first um, in Parliament in 2015-2017, my first stint, I talked about, I was really worried about people coming back from tours, specifically Particularly reservists coming back. And, you know, where the regulars could go straight back into their barracks and they were all together. I was worried about reservists going um, back into their own workplace and people there not really being able to understand what had been going on, what they'd seen. And I think it's very difficult with post traumatic stress disorder. Uh, so I spoke about that quite a lot at the beginning um, in Parliament, particularly behind the scenes. And uh, fortunately other people were doing the same, but it's, uh, it also then, I then joined the um, armed forces parliamentary scheme and I spent the first year of the Navy and then the second year of the Army. And I'm now on the Royal College of Defence Studies course, which is absolutely fantastic. So there's about 101 members of well, that six-year foreign and uh, all colonels, that sort of rank and expected mm. great and better things afterwards. But I've been really lucky in some respects because it's been online this year. So normally parliamentarians find it very difficult to go and, and join in, but because it's been online I've managed to balance uh, you know, speaking in the parliament and watching the lectures, et cetera, online. It's been a really good course.
0: That's absolutely fascinating and Flick, it sounds like you, you have like so many different uh, almost kind of touch points and, and interests and you, you've got kind of a, a strategic kind of look. And then you're also thinking about, you know, real micro uh, decisions and, and impacts on, you know, serving reservists and, you know, formerly you know, veterans as well. So it's, it's great that you're kind of promoting that, that sort of the, the whole look at the forces in, in what you do. I mean, I've got to ask. How uh, how was the uh, how was the navy compared to the army when you were on the uh, armed forces parliamentary scheme?
2: Well, it was absolutely fascinating because I you know I was representing the, the the home of the Royal Navy, so it was really useful to me. And you know we spent quite a lot of time in the naval base, and I really got an appreciation of of how the Royal Navy operate, which is, is actually very different from the Army. My son's just left the Army after six years, and watching what he's gone through, and with it, my experience too, it, it's a very different organization. It's, a bit, it's almost a bit cozier. Mm-hmm. And they seem to, I think from a career progression, they seem to look after their staff. Well, after I left um, Parliament the first time, I then became the Southeast Region Chair of the Veterans Advisory and Pension Committee. Yes, and I yeah. think because I because I'd done the armed forces um, parliamentary scheme, it really helped me, um, you know, sort of have an appreciation of what those veterans had gone through and what they're going through. So, you know, I haven't really stopped all the way through being really interested in this area. Mm. And I mean,
0: do you think that kind of. Uh, sort of I'm trying to work out the best way to phrase the question but you're obviously very very involved in in a lot of different aspects of of the military and then you've also got obviously your your fantastic you know political career and your political record you know what do you think it is that sort of motivates you politically you know is it a sense of service or you know is it kind of patriotic or or a mixture of things Where, where do you think your politics kind of comes from
2: well, I mean, it's it's been a long journey. I mean, if anyone looks at my career, it's certainly about determination and persistence will get you where you want to go to. Um,
0: <laughs> and, and well, and that's a, that's a great lesson for a lot of our members who are gonna be listening, you know, because a lot of them have candidate aspirations and you really have, you, you've really gone for it. So, you know, well done. Yeah,
2: I, I mean, it, it's fascinating because I got on the parliamentary list at the same time as George Osborne in, in 1998. And, um, you know, but then unfortunately, my, my husband got posted to the United States. And so we had five years there, which was very interesting because it was during 9-11 and we were living mm. just outside New York. Um, and so that really sort of took me out of everything. And then coming back, you know, had to uh, really work hard to get back into it again. So I stood in 2005 and then 2010, in, so 2005 in Southampton, then 2010 in the the first time and then got elected in 2017 and then of course we had the disastrous election of 2017 which meant I lost my seat. Um, Yeah, It's a huge university vote here and the the Corbyn Mm. was incredibly popular then Mm. but um, what I'm saying I think uh, you know that journey and then finally I ended up in the Meehan Valley which is where my parents moved to um, in 1986 so it's really been my and we've lived around that area for the last um, 33 years so it's really been my home. And I first applied for that seat in 2007. Obviously, you know, I didn't get it then. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I've got it now. So, yeah, so I think, you know, in the armed forces, you have to be fairly resilient as well. And you have to be determined. Um. You have to keep your goal on where you want to go. And I think that anybody in the armed forces at the moment who wants to go into politics will have learned a very good lesson. Mm. And we do have, we have quite a few armed forces, uh, you know ex um, armed forces veterans in parliament and I think they probably say the same as well and that commitment to society and serving the community is, is really important
0: mm-hmm. I think there's also that, that element of of seeing a, a problem or identifying a task and then taking action to overcome it and I know that some of the the you know the veterans and and also some of the MPs to be perfectly honest who who aren't who haven't ever served but who kind of have a have that kind of attitude you know they're they're very successful and they kind of they talk about their their um their experiences in a very similar way to to the way you have Flick as well so thank thank you for thank you for that um i've I've got a slightly odd question um obviously you've you've been through the mill a bit as a as a, a candidate and an mp you know on your on your journey so far and i wondered if anyone kind of stood out as a kind of mentor for you um, and or or whether anyone had kind of inspired you on your journey and whether you could talk to us a bit about the characteristics that that they had or, or why you've look looked up to them um over the last you know well over your career
2: yeah that's an interesting one really there isn't anyone in particular that um I've sort of followed or asked questions. I I am uh, Maria Miller, I suppose, at the moment is the person that um, is my mentor, really. And she's another Hampshire MP and I've known her for quite a long time. So she's been very helpful to me and and, um, in all sorts of ways. So I respect she would be one of them. But I think, uh, and everybody says this, isn't it? It, I don't actually, it it wasn't Margaret Thatcher as such. It was because she was a woman, I think. Mm. And one realized that you could get to the top. And it's very similar in the armed forces too, you know, with women still aren't, there aren't enough women at the top of the armed forces and they're getting there slowly. And I think having those visual, you know, people up there right, right. at the top and say, well, you know, she can do it, so can I. And, um, but yeah, but actually from a, you know, day-to-day basis nobody really has has been inspired me. I got in because I wanted to change the education system and I worked out ways of of doing that and I'm, I'm actually doing quite a lot of work on that at the moment but uh, I trained to be an Ofsted inspector purely so I could learn what was going on in our schools and, um, and here I am many many years later and maybe have the possibility to do that. I'm working with other people at the moment so it's more, I think, if, if I was going to give any advice, it's focus on something that you're really interested in and make yourself an expert on it. And then really, you can push your way through in that respect as well. There are lots of different ways of getting into Parliament, but I think the most important thing is to become an expert or be passionate about a particular subject, which you can really then push forward at that particular platform. So I think that is uh, probably the advice I'd give people.
0: And so, Flick, it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about um, kind of role models in general, really, rather than sort of uh, you know mentors. Um, and now, in effect, you are one because you know I, I you know I don't want to sound too um, sort of pre- you know I don't want to I don't want to kind of um, <clears throat> shower praise on you, but I know a, a couple <laughs> of um, conservative young women, you know, and there are lots of different groups, you know, um, Women to Win and CWO, um, and they cite you as somebody who who is very inspiring and who. Um, wow. Who are very professional and who um, they look up to, and do you do you feel that pressure now that you you have achieved um, all that you have? You know, do you do you understand that you have that role, and do you act a co- you know, a different
2: way because of it? I do. You know, I never ever thought um, anyone would say that to me at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, oh I, well, mean, that's, I
0: mean it genuinely. I, you know, really,
2: I mean that's incredible. That's incredibly kind. Um, I'm really happy to help anybody that wants to move forward. And I've always been you know, one of those people that's very open and approachable about my, my many failings. Um, and I think it's, I, you know, it is important to learn from other people and watch how they've done it and to take advice as well. I still take advice. I think advice is fantastic. And if anybody talks to me about something, I listen carefully and then act on it. And I, you know, I'm in my late 50s now and I still do that. So you can never, ever stop learning. And the RCDS course has been absolutely brilliant because that's teaching me things which I didn't know before, things that I haven't, I've missed in my career, for instance, like, you know, grand strategy. Mm. Um, and that's helping me in my political career too. So anyone who's coming through, I'd just say be open to everything, learn as much about anything that you can and, and just be open to new ideas the whole time. But, uh, but from being a role model, that's incredibly kind of you to say so <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's been it's been nice to hear um, yeah. it's always good to hear that um, people that you know are connected with the armed forces and kind of and, and, and MPs and people are up, you know on a kind of circuit that you know conservative uh, party members want to engage with you know it's always yeah. great to hear when people say well this person really is inspiring and this person really is the real deal you know they are you know interesting and they are creative and they are passionate, and, that, and that's and I've heard that said about you, Flick. So, but enough of that now. We'll yeah, move yeah, on. yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> what's your, um, what's the most enjoyable aspect um, of your role as an MP? What do you enjoy the most? And perhaps we I should also ask, what do you enjoy the least?
2: Um, the most enjoyable things actually contributing contributing to policymaking um, and getting things achieved um, in a big scale and then the other side of course is helping individuals too particularly during COVID we've had lots of businesses who've been struggling and and individuals and we've been able to point them in the right direction and that's been absolutely brilliant Uh, and I managed to in my first stint in parliament I was able to put a report forward about having um, older women going back into the workplace. So, you know, I think Mm. both for women and men, it needs to be a very flexible workplace. You want to take time out for caring responsibilities, be their aged parents or with their children, Mm. and and then be able to come back later on if you want to, without that being seen as a negative thing, which it has been for far too long. And so, and and the Chancellor gave five million for that, that project in the end to make sure to to move it forward. So that was really exciting. And now I'm trying to change the education system, particularly with exams. I don't think we need GCSEs anymore. So I'm working with some others to do that. Uh, I, I can't say that the education department's very keen on that idea at the moment, but... know there's a lot of people that feel that way and Covid has shown that you can do education differently Mm -hmm. and we don't actually need exams at 16 and we all have to stay on at school till 18 now Mm -hmm. and so it's working out what would replace it so Mm -hmm. that's that's I'm really enjoying um the things I don't enjoy um and I don't know how people in the armed forces will feel about this but I don't enjoy being whipped all the time that sounds Mm -hmm. extraordinary but the whips uh, I, you know, in some ways you feel like you're back at school and I suspect mm. armed forces personnel feel that they're back in the armed forces as well. And it's being told what to do, how you're going to vote, why you can't do this, why you can't do that. And you don't, you know, you don't feel that all that experience you've brought in, accounts <laughs> counts for anything mm. in that respect. Um, but we have to get policy through and quite often, you know, it's a team effort. People in the armed forces know all about teamwork And it really is a teamwork. If you want to get policies through, you might not agree with everything within that policy, but you've got open access to ministers to go and talk to them and change things. And then you have to vote. And of course, then you have to justify why you voted in a certain way. And the social media impact on that and the number of emails you get daily can really grind you down. And also you can lose a sense of perspective too, because you get so many emails on just one aspect of it. And yet, you know, so maybe you get hundred emails, but then you've got to remember you've got, you know, like 70,000 voters. So are you representing those a hundred or are you representing the whole lot? and what's the best thing for the country? So it's putting all those into place is, can be very tricky and, and there are lots of sleepless nights worrying if you've done the right thing, how you're going to vote, what the reaction's going to be. And I think social media has had a big impact on, on politics. Um, and it's, it's made it quite hard. So I've come off Twitter now, uh, mm. because it just seemed to be a, a, what's it called, a hate box or a shouting box, and yes. not, I, not really I helpful.
0: It, I find it poisonous, and it's such a shame yeah. that it's part of modern politics. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, so, a, I, so I just
2: use, I use Facebook now, which you can mm. control a bit better um
0: Mm. Mm. and and so and so when when you've had a hard day you know when you've had 100 emails about something and and you you know you 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 feel very frustrated or perhaps you've you know had a had a difficult conversation with a whip whereby you've had to vote for something that perhaps you wouldn't have done if you hadn't if you hadn't made you know if you weren't being um if you weren't sort of exercising selfless commitment and and working for the team
2: how Mm -hmm. do you relax
0: and unwind what do you do to to chill out
2: well, I sort of stop work about nine o'clock and I tend to watch rubbish telly. So, you know, the Scandi dramas I love. Um, recently, I've got Netflix. So there are all sorts of box sets you can watch. I'm one of those people there. And uh, we, I have a, there's a, a group of female MPs. We have a, a WhatsApp group and often we recommend things to uh, each other. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and then I read a book and I try and read um, a, a fiction book. And the, you yeah. know, sort of. try and get to sleep but you know and and I mean I think most of us wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep because things are going round around your brain so I I listen to podcasts and and that sort of thing in the middle of the night but yeah it's pretty full-on this job and it you have to work incredibly hard at the moment weekends aren't as busy as they would have been normally you know rushing Mm -hmm. around the constituency but it's it is a very full-time job and it's great,
0: brilliant brilliant and, and you know you, your passion um, comes across in this in this interview, you know you've only been speaking for 20 minutes, but it's very, very clear that you're, you're very passionate about what you do and, and the issues that you're committed to, and that must alleviate, you know, some
2: of that that grind. Yes the successes and the nice emails you get from people it just makes it all worthwhile and I remember Anne Milton who used to be the MP for Guildford saying always have a file of all the nice emails that you get and the thanks because that'll make up for all the horrible ones that you get <laughs> um and it's absolutely true you know you just sort of, you you go through and you reflect you think oh I managed to do that and oh yeah that person was really pleased with what I've done and, and you know you do get some extraordinary emails from people that just think that they can say whatever they want to you and it's it's it does you know it does hurt actually sometimes Mm. um but you you over the years you start to build a a thick skin and um which is a bit sad that you have to do that but it you do and you have to not take anything personally Mm. after a while
0: do you think that there's there's a an issue you know, and I know that Sarah afton has been doing, um, you know, work on her, with her subcommittee on um, the experience of women in the armed forces. But mm-hmm. do you think that there is a, uh, it's a harder job for um, females to do because of the, you know, the, the abuse or the, the, you know, the, the online kind of behavior of people?
2: I think so, yeah. I mean, it, it evidence shows that that is the case. Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. feel that they can shout at women, uh, uh, you know, as much as, uh, more than they, they need to at men and mm. you know i think it's because we tend to be we tend to be more consensus driven mm. and so we might not snap back at somebody whereas men mm. might do it and then they maybe they get respect for that you know people go oh you're far too nice to be an mp well mm. quite frankly we need nice MPs don't we i mean isn't that the point you know we need more <clears throat> kindness and mm. uh people to um well, look after each other and, and mm. not be so selfish, I think. And I think women are more like that. So we do tend to get people don't understand that, particularly men. It's always comes from men generally. Mm. And they don't, you know, I mean, I had someone writing to me this week saying, do you really believe the drivel that you've written or something like that? And I thought, well, you know, what? I'm not going to write to you again. If you don't mm. want to read what I've sent back to you, then. You know, why should I bother writing back? Mm. It's little things like that. You just, mm. just makes you quite cross, really. Mm.
0: Well, mo- moving away from what's cross, I've got one last question for you, and that is, um, what are you hoping to achieve over the year ahead? What, what, what can we, what can we look out for? What can we share on our social
2: media about what you're going to be up to? Okay. Well, firstly, there's, as I mentioned, the education, and let's see what we can do about. It. Um, changing the examination system and the way we assess in in Britain, because I feel that's really important. I mean, last year there was a good childhood guide uh, looking at the mental health of young people and 15 year olds, particularly are suffering and and they say it's, it's largely about exams. So that's something that I really want to do. The other thing, I mean, just referring back to the armed forces, uh, my son has left the army recently. And one of the Mm. reasons I believe he left, because he wasn't managed properly, the career progression for um, people in the armed forces is managed quite remotely. And, and, Mm. well, this this happened (laughs) to be the the Royal Signals. And they were managed out of Glasgow. And, I mean, to me, that is absurd. And I know they're changing it. And I barrack the generals on this every time I meet them. And you've got a fantastic uh, general at the moment, Sharon a. Smith, who mm. um, promised me she was doing something. I think she's moving on now, um, but she was looking at personnel. So that's another area. Um, and fortunately, interesting enough, today I have two armed forces questions for in the um, defence questions today. I haven't had a single one since I've been back, which has been frustrating, but today I've got one. One I'm going to talk about um, how perhaps they could change the gender uh, naming of various ranks in the armed forces. So guardsmen, you know, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing.
0: Um,
2: And my next one I'm going, and my topical question, we've just got the armed forces covenant coming through and the the justice system's going to change too. And Mm. I want to make sure that complaints are dealt with promptly and quickly, because mm. I've come across particularly my vet, with my veteran's hat on too many people that had spent months, if not years, trying to get a complaint through. And because people hear that you know, complaints take ages and they cost a lot of money, et cetera, they're not likely to complain. Mm. And I know Sarah Atherton's doing some work on this. So I'm gonna um, try and join her with that and back her up on that side of okay. things
0: brilliant that's that's fantastic and um, both you know very worthy things to ask questions on and hopefully we can um, we can we can sort of share share your content on uh, on facebook um flip brilliant. i'm going to end it there because i know you've got a, a meeting in four minutes time but it's been an I absolute do. pleasure yes. to speak to you thank you no, so much thank for you so us.
2: much no it's uh, um, just brilliant thank you very much for inviting me i'm absolutely thrilled incredibly kind of you
0: CF Armed Forces podcast.